0: Eat your inside pass, to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill to Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Welcome Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak getting ready for a schedule release this week. But we also have some other Saints news uh, according you know, getting maybe a tight end signed. And number changes still happening and we'll be previewing our takes on the roster and what we, who we think will end up making it onto this team with a uh, rookie mini camp coming up at the end of the week. Football is back, Jeff. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. I see what you're going with there. Well, so what we're going to be going through is a, I did a way too early 53 man roster projection. I like to do one after the draft prior to, Rookie minicamp, probably to all OTAs and everything. Just to have a baseline of what we're working off of. It skews heavily toward the veterans, but I did have I do have one UDFA that I'm already plugging into the roster and one draft pick that I am dropping to the practice squad, oh, okay. which is not unusual. I mean, it it's it, it ha- I mean, Jordan Jackson and got cut last year. It's not that crazy, but we're gonna go through that. So we're gonna the second segment here, we're gonna go through the offensive side of the equation. The third segment, we're going to go through the defensive side of the equation and kind of just look at where things stand and where they're going to go. A way-too-early roster projection,
0: at least, is better than a way-too-early 2024 NFL mock mock draft draft
1: that I saw McShay do. Not interested. No, not at all. (laughs) Not interested in that game. Um, But first, let's go through some news and notes in this opening segment. The first you alluded to, Foster Morrow. This is a report from Brooke Kirchhoff for WWL and I guess she moonlights as a podcast host at New football now, which is good for her. Happy to see that. She reported that Foster Morrow has received an offer from the Saints. I don't know if this was a standing offer, if it's just kind of been there the whole time, and it's like whenever you're healthy, this is here. That's probably what it is because he's dealing with cancer. Obviously, the Hodgkin's lymphoma is getting treated. It was discovered during his physical with the Saints so obviously they were close to signing him to begin with, but he had already done a physical with, I believe the Bengals the previous day. So there is interest in his services whenever he is ready to return to the NFL. But I think that does kind of indicate that the saints, you know, if he's ready to get back on the field, they're happy to have him, which kind of seemed like the case all along.
0: Yeah. The biggest surprise to me, I guess, was that the offer, the saints are still have that offer extended to him curious to know obviously his health situation on when exactly he could be ready to play football dealing with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And and then the other one was it's he's also considering other offers and it's like, Oh, Hey, I thought thought you want to come back and be reunited with Derek Carr.
1: Yeah. It's going to be something to watch. I don't think he's going to be ready for camp. I don't think who knows if he'll be ready for the season. So it's probably kind of just a, okay, let's wait and see what happens. And, if he does a, a pick a deal and say, "Hey, I want to go here," it's going to go through another physical, and they'll get another chance to look at it and say, "Okay, you're all set." By the way, if you hear any like hard rain or thunder, it's because it's been pouring at my house all day. I just got a flood warning, so hopefully the car is still above water by the time I go outside. But
0: out just... in the burbs of Metri, here it's uh, we got some sun, thunder, and
1: it hasn't been coming down yet. Yeah, well, you'll, you'll get it, you'll get it. But all right, so we went through the numbers in the last episode. And there is one number that we did not get to that changed in the last couple of days. And I think it's notable for a couple of reasons. One it's Rashid Jahidi wore 89 last year. He is going to wear 22 in his sophomore season, his second NFL season, which is an unusual wide receiver number to begin with. I can't think of another wide receiver that wears 22. It's almost exclusively a running back number. And so that'll be kind of interesting to see him run around in. But also, I think it is a pretty strong indicator that Mark Ingram is not coming back to this roster. He wore twenty-two last year. Obviously, C.J. Gardner-Johnson wore it before him. So theoretically, Mark could come back and wear five like he did. He could wear fourteen again. Actually, Jay Haner's wearing fourteen, so not really. But I don't think that you would have given his number away if you were if you kind of had him on the short list of players you were going to bring in because you still have five roster spots available, if my math is correct. you think they have 85 people under contract? So I do think that's a pretty clear indicator that he is not going to be back. And that's also true of Jonathan Abram is wearing number 24. That was Dwayne Washington's number. He has had that for several seasons. And if you were planning on bringing Dwayne back, another guy who's out there as a free agent, I don't think you would have given his number away. So I think that's a pretty good sign that neither of those running backs is coming back to this roster. Yeah, unfortunately, we saw
0: Dwayne dealing with migraine headaches last year, which took him out the lineup and haven't heard any more news on him. Did see something recently, Jeff, with uh Ingram. He's gonna actually be taking part in the NFL networks coverage of the schedule release. So maybe we're seeing that transition from on the field to into broadcasting
1: for him. Who knows? Yeah, I mean he's done that regardless. So I don't know if yeah. that's necessarily kind of a smoking gun there. Like he's been doing the podcast with Cam for a while. He's kind of like Cam in that sense. Like They've both been kind of setting up their post NFL careers for the last five years. So who knows? I think he is, if he's not ready to retire now, he might be one kind of ring chasing season away, right? Like I could see him latching on with Buffalo, right? Like a team that is going to be a super bowl contender for sure. And maybe show up mid season, right? The way Latavius Murray did with the Broncos last year. I think he's probably keeping his options open for that, but I just don't think it's going to be the saints. Either way, it's going to be something to watch. A couple other things to note. Sage Dox-Tater has been signed back to the Saints roster for this offseason. He was a UDFA from last year. Obviously, he got cut. He was in the XFL. Oh. Several of the Saints UDFAs from last year like, starred in the XFL uh, this past season. So uh, it's a good kind of sign that they're that they're finding the right talent out there. And it's just a matter of having a roster spot available. But, again, like I did in the roster projection I'm going to go through, I only have one UDFA that I think is I'm confident in is going to really push to make the roster. So we'll have to see. But Have you been watching any the XFL games at all? I've watched a couple XFL games. For some reason, I always end up watching um, Orlando, which I don't know why. Like every time I it shows up, like I see it on the TV, it's Orlando playing. And I only know because it's that Quentin Dormati guy who apparently gave away the playbook and got cut, but he's back. I don't get it. Um, but either way, I do appreciate one thing about it. They have fans. No, because they don't have fans. Oh, they don't. I mean, maybe like not enough to fill I'm a stadium. I'm just saying
0: because the, the, to me, the biggest thing with the USFL games is
1: how empty this, the stadium is. And it's like, why are you even doing this? Yeah. I don't, I don't know either. Um, but no, it's, it's that they mic up the play callers. Oh, okay. So like you, like they, they'll, they'll pan up during an NFL game. Like they'll show you the offensive coordinator sitting in the booth on talking on the headset and calling plays, but they won't let you hear what they're saying. And the XFL, you actually hear the play call and they're like, Oh, 26 wheel. (laughs) And then it's like, Oh, the running backs on a wheel route and he tries to throw to him. And it's kind of interesting because you know what the play is supposed to be. Right. So you can see when they screw it up and you can see who screwed it up. Right. Like there was one point where they ran the, they ran a wheel route and he was open and they missed him and they ran it. And it was like, okay, same play. And they ran it again, and he missed him again. I was like, okay, now it's the quarterback's fault, right? Because it's like, you got to make that throw. It's just kind of fun. And that's like one of the only things that I think is kind of unique about it, where where you would actually have a good reason to go watch it. But I think it's a better product than the USFL, personally.
0: Yeah, that's what I I haven't seen enough of either, I guess, to rate the on-field action. But both to me are obviously clearly way way steps behind the NFL and like I said with the USL f- fell for me seeing five people in the in the stands is just
1: so demoralizing it's like what what are these guys doing here they should do like the fake fans again like the cutouts and just put oh. them in there <laughs> like they're during covid it's it's all played a lot slower like the pace of play is a lot slower you don't feel like they can run a 2 minute drill Right. Like there are points during an NFL game where you see a guy get it. They see a team, get the ball back down four with two and a half minutes left. And you're like too much time, too much time. If that happens in the XFL, you're like, this game's over. <laughs> uh, Cause they just can't, they can't execute that way. But yeah, I mean, I think it's good for the NFL and NFL players who are fringe roster candidates to have somewhere where they can improve, right. Where they can play real football Because it it is a league very much where either you're good enough when you get there as a rookie to be developed into a starting caliber player or you're not. You very rarely in the NFL see a player who does not get any playing time in his first three, four seasons suddenly becomes a quality player. Like that'll happen in the NBA. I just watched Lonnie Walker go off in the fourth quarter beating the Warriors. And I was like, who the heck is Lonnie Walker? (laughs) Well, he's a guy who's been developing, right? Like he's been playing. In moments in garbage time, and he's been getting his chances, and then okay, he gets out there, and suddenly you're like, Oh wow, this guy can go. We don't see that in the NFL. Like Caden Ellis' story is rare, and uh, yeah, so I, I think that's something to that, that you that is worth keeping around, but we still haven't seen like that XFL success story, right? Like, we haven't seen that USFL success story really, where someone was kind of just cast off, dominated in that league, and came back and was. Good. Not great. Uh, Like a, like a pro bowl caliber player in the NFL. We haven't seen that yet. And I think until that happens, you're not going to get a ton of buy-in from fans, from the league, the NFL rather, because at that point, it's basically just entertainment. It's not a farm system, if you will.
0: Yeah. My my biggest thing, and I, I keep harping on it, which is just the location for the USFL, is two three stadiums that they're in now I guess that at least expanded a little bit from last season but until the the breakers are 4-0 right now and no one cares and that's because they don't play in New
1: Orleans yeah you texted me yeah yeah the other day if breakers are 4-0 I didn't even respond yeah, I know I was like oh no, he I really doesn't it. care I saw it I was like I could respond to this but I'm not going to it's not <laughs> worth my time you could have told me that the Phillies are on a three-game winning streak I also don't care about that Right, which actually they're not because they they lost the first two games of that series to the Red Sox, who I'm paying attention to suddenly because they won like eight games in a row. But yeah, so just to, just to kind of loop back around here, the stuff we are waiting on this week, we are still waiting on. We have not gotten any leaked games out of the schedule. I was ex- anticipating the international slate to get released a little early as of we're recording this podcast about 3 p.m. on Tuesday. It has not been released. There's obviously a chance that by the time you listen to this, Maybe there has been some reporting, but right now we still don't know whether the saints are actually playing in Germany. There was reporting that it was, but we will find out on Wednesday. Theoretically, if they are, that's when the international schedule is supposed to be released. And then the full schedule is set to be released on Thursday, which we will have an episode that comes out after that to kind of react to it. I'm going to do my typical predictions. And then I think, we can do a live stream where just we just go through that right. um, game by game, and that'll hopefully be the Friday episode, assuming it's all out early enough to do that. That's the only question is if, for whatever reason, for the first time ever in NFL history, the schedule does not get leaked in advance, which I don't anticipate, but that's something to keep in mind.
0: No, uh, also getting uh, put out on Wednesday's NFL schedule release with the international games, the brand new black Friday game, which will, you know, the NFL just taken over every day of the week. Black, black Friday. Yeah. Who, who
1: was out there like begging for a black Friday football game? Yeah, I, I don't know, but it's, it's, I know it's going to be on Amazon prime. That's about it. I would, if I had to pick between the saints playing on Thanksgiving or the saints playing on black Friday, I would, I would take black Friday if I'm being honest. Cause at least then like, I don't have to deal with it on Thanksgiving. <laughs> No,
0: it definitely feels more intrusive on a Thanksgiving when it's great to be watching
1: football that day, but yeah, not to be working. Well, it sucks for the road team, right? Because you're not traveling on Friday. So that means whatever team is on the road for that game doesn't even get the the kind of clout of playing on Thanksgiving, but still doesn't get to celebrate Thanksgiving with their family. So it's kind of like I, I would hate to be the road team in that Black Friday game. Because that means you're probably you're either traveling on Thanksgiving Day, which kind of sucks, or you are traveling on Wednesday and you are in another city for Thanksgiving, which still kind of sucks. So like it's the NFL, man. They're going to make money on it, so they'll do it. But it's just it's going to be a bad product. I guarantee it. It's going to be this game is going to be bad, just like the Thursday games are bad. We'll see. I'm I'm sure they'll try to
0: highlight it, maybe with some of their top teams. But I don't know, man. Which what the NFL has a plan for, you know that world dominance and it's really doing that and you know what during the, the covid times they had to move a few games and we had what was it
1: we had tuesday football or wednesday, wednesday football. games some yeah. tuesday games yeah
0: they probably were like oh
1: <laughs> i think it is a good a good observation they probably went through that season and were like man we could have football any day of the week, and people will watch it and then it's like why do we only play on sundays <laughs> you know yeah, it, it's it feels like it's only a matter of time before we have like Wednesday through Sunday is football. Like you just have like Wednesday night football, Thursday night football, Friday night football, Saturday night football, Sunday night football, and then the rest is on Sunday. <laughs> you think they'd they entrench on that Saturday territory? I mean, why not, right? They probably wouldn't compete with with college until the end of the season, but like that's the, the NF the college schedule ends prior to the NFL schedule ending. So they they, they do that anyway. Yeah, I was going to say they do have some Saturday games later on the year. At the end of the season after college is over. Although they are going to have to contend with more college football playoff games with the 12-team format than they have in the past because that's going to mess with Super Wild Card Weekend. So that is essentially going to be what that is. Like you're going to have – I think the semifinals will be Thursday, Friday, and then the – will be the Super Wild Card Weekend, which will be Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So it's like – I don't like it personally, but –
0: no, I'm, yeah, I'm just waiting for yeah. Next year we'll be like, oh, they're gonna try out the Tuesday game, uh, you know. So that's it. It's gonna be. I don't know if the NFL can get to that point where you're oversaturated. We had this conversation a little bit before getting on air, just about Star Wars and Marvel stuff, which I think has been, you know, too, just yeah, too much of it has. And I just don't know if the NFL you can get to that point where there's just the fans are like oh i can't i can't take another game tonight kind of thing
1: yeah i, I think at this point you're, you're, the 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 uh, cba is preventing them from doing anything too drastic but i'm sure the next time they negotiate you're going to try to work like the last cba one of the hang-ups was oh we're going to go to a 17 game schedule and everyone was like i hate this but we have to accept it to get a lot of stuff through and i'm sure like wednesday night football will be the next thing and they try to push that through and it's like well we have to do it friday night football we have to do it
0: yeah, and it just feels like two were waiting on that 18-game schedule to make it even, and
1: maybe they added an extra bye week. I don't know. All I know is there, there will never be less football. There will only be no. more. It's like inflation. It's like it never goes down. A Big Mac never gets cheaper. It only gets more expensive. It's the same way for football. I mean, yeah, let's, let's end on that. I think that's a good place to end this segment of Inside Black and We're going to come back, and we're going to go through the offensive side of our way-too-early 53-man roster projection. Stick around for that. back on inside black and gold gonna flash up this roster projection here starts off with the offseason dates. So let's go through that first. Again, this is inside black and gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak as long as that website's still chugging along which who knows maybe only has a day left or so before it completely implodes. But hey, we'll still use it. Yeah. Well, we, what, and then what will we do if Twitter does fold what's next? Go to blue sky which is, this is kind of funny. We can get into it for a second here. Jack Dorsey sold Twitter to Elon Musk effectively, like he was the head of the board. And uh, so he he, he basically invented Twitter. And the proceeds from that and created a alternate platform, like an open source platform called Blue Sky, which is effectively just Twitter. And so it's basically just sitting there, like waiting for Twitter to implode, at which point there will be no alternative and he'll just be like, well, why don't you use this? And then, <laughs> and then, like all the Twitter people will just kind of migrate over here because it's the only thing that makes sense. And it's the exact same API effectively. And you had to the- go and look it up. It's not even like rolling yet, though, it's right? It's in beta right now. It's yeah, in beta. Yeah, okay. You need to invite code. So they're just, they're literally just like laying, laying the foundation and putting up the walls and making sure there's a ceiling over everything. And they have to have people in there to beta test it. So that's what they have. I have an account. And so they're just like their goal was effectively like very clearly just to be like, well, Twitter's only got Twitter's on life support. So why don't we just make sure this is here for when everyone just abandoned ship officially. Um, it's very funny to me because he made he like used the money from Twitter from the buyout from Elon Musk to basically bankroll this operation, which is effectively just there to completely undermine Twitter once it once it becomes what it is right now. That's just kind of funny. It's a good business. What would, would be really funny if he named it blue check mark or blue check or whatever. All right. Blue sky. <laughs> and the app, the the logo on the app is just clouds.
0: Maybe when, like you said, it all goes down, they can import my followers and, and my, who I'm
1: following to, from Twitter onto there. <laughs> yeah. All those bots that are following you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. So, yeah. So as we mentioned, the saints off season dates, we have the rookie mini camp, May 12th through 14th. So that starts on, Thursday. The open practice is on Saturday. That is the final day. We'll have open locker room. We'll be able to get in there and talk to all the rookies and all the UDFAs and whoever else is there. I had someone ask if we could go check in with smoke Monday. He might be there. Occasionally you'll have second year players there. Like last year, JJ McCleskey, no Jalen McCleskey, JJ's his dad. Jalen McCleskey was there, right? He wasn't a rookie, but he was there. So it's possible that smoke Monday is out there and maybe he's just trying to get as much work in as he can. So if he is, I will go talk to him, but, again that uh, we don't know exactly who's going to be out there one thing we didn't mention in the first segment is as far as i'm aware none of these saints rookies have actually signed their rookie deals so they would actually have to sign a waiver to participate um at least the drafted rookies so i imagine they'll do that but there is a chance that some don't show up yeah it, it, if they're negotiating right and elante taylor took a long time to sign his contract last year and It was just they're negotiating over guaranteed money. It wasn't ever like an animosity thing. So if if we get extended here and people haven't signed their contracts, it's not a big deal.
0: No, definitely not. And I'd be, you know, it's surprising though. I feel like in previous years, though, guys would not show up if they didn't have their deal done. uh, Even if they, they signed a waiver, like with the waiver even in
1: place kind of thing. They don't have to. Right. Right? Like I think, so like there's a chance you don't see all of the rookies out there. I expect you will, but like, there's no, if you haven't signed a contract, you are not obligated to show up, um, as far as I understand. So that's something to keep in mind.
0: But someone I wouldn't expect though, is, um, the running back right from TCU.
1: Well, know. I expect him to be there. I don't expect him to be working on the field. Like I expect him to be getting treatment and like working off to the side, but he'll, I, I expect he'll be there. Like Rashid Shahid was there last year. He wasn't working out. Anyway, so going forward, then OTAs, May 23rd to 25th, May 30th through June 1st, and then June 5th through 8th, those are optional again, then mandatory mini camp June 13th through 15th. And then the full training camp, we don't have the official dates for that, but it's usually the last week of July that, that everything gets going. So that's what we'll be looking at. And that's, I'm not going to be updating this roster projection after every set of OTAs or whatever, but I probably will update it at least once post-mandatory minicamp pre-training camp to kind of. Reflect on what we've seen. We won't see a lot of the veterans until that mandatory minicamp. Like Demario Davis probably won't show up. Marshawn Lattimore probably won't show up until mandatory minicamp. So keep that in mind. But yeah, so the first position is pretty easy. Quarterback, Derek Carr, Jameis Winston, Jake Kahner. You're going to carry three because you cannot cut Jake Kahner. He will get claimed. You cannot stash him on the practice squad. So that does take away a, a position that last year you only carried two. So that gave you an extra spot down the line this year. You're going to have to carry three and you trade it up in the fourth round to go get Jay Kaner, unless he is atrocious, which I don't anticipate he will be. You're not cutting him out of camp. So you're keeping three quarterbacks in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Unless some kind of miraculous trade appears
1: for a Jameis Winston kind of thing. But I agree with you. You're going to have three. That's a good point. If you end up with two, (laughs) it's going to be because Jameis Winston isn't on the roster. And that's not me saying, (laughs) I think Jameis is going to get cut. I'm just saying, there are situations that could develop. Like what if he gets hurt, right? Or what if he just gets completely outplayed, which I don't think he will, but like you're not cutting Jay Kane. You're not cutting a rookie that you're still trying to develop to save a roster spot. If you are desperate for a roster spot and you feel comfortable that Jay could back up Derek Carr, then maybe you would cut James. I don't think you're going to.
0: No, that's why I said, you would. uh, to me would have to be some kind of DEFCON 5 situation happening with another team. And they're like, Hey, Saints, yeah. we'll, get, we'll we'll give you a fifth rounder round for Jameis.
1: Right. Yeah, like I could see that being the case. I'll, although, like, it's – even then, I, like, that would be unlikely to even get that offer, right? But either, I think you are going into this expecting Jameis to be the backup, so there's no incentive to do anything else. And for now, I'm not going that route. I think you are keeping four backs. And in this case, I kept a fullback. I kept Alvin Kamara – Jamal Williams, Kendry Miller, and Adam Prentice. And I don't know if you need to keep the fullback. Like maybe you keep a fourth running back and you run a lot more two running back sets. It's really just a question of whether you trust Kendry as a blocker in his rookie season. And if you do, you might be able to get away with three running backs. But I feel like at this point, I'm willing to sacrifice that roster spot and keep a fourth fullback H, whatever you want to call it. And so that's my running backs right now which means that I cut Sir Roderick Thompson Jr. and Eno Benjamin. Yeah. I mean, we saw very
0: little of Eno last year, obviously, and didn't do anything that would solidify any kind of spot on this roster, even going into this year right now. And, you know, I I think the need for the fullback we've seen this team prefers to use him. I feel like.
1: Yeah. I think they just like having him around. He's useful on special teams, right? Like, if Eno Benjamin makes this roster, it's going to be because he stands out as like a gunner, right? Like he, like it's not going to be based on his abilities at running yeah. back. And I just don't know. I haven't seen him enough. If, if he goes out there and he shows off and he gets into those preseason games and he is a gunner, like Ty Montgomery, for example, was excellent as a gunner. It's unusual for a running back to be really good in that role, but it's not unheard of. Dwayne Washington was a very good special teams guy. Yeah. So there's a chance that Eno Benjamin makes himself uncuttable. I think it's more likely that you move on from him and you stash Sir Roderick on the practice squad, but we'll get down to that. Eno would have to be like the next Dwayne Washington, right? Right, right, or Ty Montgomery, right? Exactly. Like yeah. that's the role he's in. He's not going to beat out Alvin, Jamal, or Kendra. Now, if Alvin gets a suspension handed down in the preseason, right? If we, if if he ends up serving a six game suspension, and we know, and it's weeks one through six. Maybe you do keep Eno Benjamin around because you might want to have that extra kind of guy that's trustworthy who's been in an offense before. But that's something we I'm not gonna predict right now, but that's something to keep in mind. All right. Down to wide receiver. I'm keeping six of them. So I'm keeping Brian Edwards, Chris Olave, Traquan Smith, Michael Thomas, Rashid Shaheed. And then A.T. Perry is that guy who's a sixth round pick. In theory, he's not guaranteed a spot on this roster. But I do think that you want to keep either one of these six three six five receivers between him and and Shaquan the UDFA. So I go with At Perry right now because they did trade up to get him, so they clearly like him, and so I think he's going to be that guy. But here are the cuts: so Kawan Baker, Cy Barnett, who's the UDFA, Shaquan Davis, who's the UDFA out of South Carolina State, then Keith Kirkwood. Malik Flowers, who's the UDFA return specialist out of Montana, and then Kirk Merritt. Several of these guys are going to end up on the practice squad, but unless unless one of these guys shows up and just dominates in camp, I have a hard time seeing them beating out anyone in that list above.
0: The one of the cuts that I'm interested to see more of is Kawan Baker, just because we really haven't seen anything from him. Uh, dealt with some PED stuff last year and got suspended. But yeah, not a, not a big guy either. I agree with you too. They need to have that big physical presence, especially you don't know, we don't know what we're getting out of Michael Thomas anymore.
1: Yeah, and they've made a clear effort to bring that guy in. So they're not going to suddenly just not keep one on the roster. I think they're going to try to keep one on the roster. Now they could both just tank, in which case maybe you do go with someone you trust, maybe a Kirkwood or a Merritt, right? I think Malik Flowers is programmed to the practice God just like Rashid, he was last year. But that's going to be, this will be a position where I don't expect a ton of change. You know, people get hurt, right? Like that's that's probably what could change this significantly more than anything else is if someone suffers an injury. The Saints have been pretty fortunate over the last several years in terms of not getting screwed over by injuries. So hopefully that continues.
0: The, the biggest thing for Traquan too is, is his blocking that valuable to keep him on the roster, I think.
1: You hear the cat? You can hear that? Yeah, yeah. God. Gypsy, what are you doing? <laughs> she agreed on Traquan. Are you, are you done? Okay. Yeah, Traquan. Traquan's interesting. Yeah, I I, I could see Traquan getting beat out, but I it it'd have to be a good reason, right? Like it have to be someone who stands out on special teams, stands out as a blocker. Maybe Kirk Merritt. Maybe the maybe the coaches love Kirk Merritt and they keep him around. But I don't think it's gonna happen for like to keep Shaquan Davis and A. T. Perry. I don't think you need two of those guys. I think you need someone who can be a blocker, who can be a special team standout in that role. So that's something to keep in mind. Tight end, I'm keeping three. Now, Miller Forestall is on this list, and and you can kind of look at that as just the free space in bingo. Like they need a blocking tight end. I don't know if Miller Forestall is that, but he's the only guy on the roster right now who could be that tight end. So I'm basically just have I have him there as like a as a space filler knowing that they're going to inevitably put a blocking tight end in that role because Taysom Hill and Juwan Johnson are the other tight ends I'm keeping. Neither is that. So right now I'm keeping three tight ends, and Miller Forrestal is one of them. I mean, it's even hard
0: to put Taysom in that group, but I know you got you to gotta put him somewhere, and that's where this team
1: quote-unquote considers his position, I guess. I mean, it's it's just the numbers. I mean, we can put him at quarterback and say you're keeping four quarterbacks. It doesn't change anything. You're keeping Taysom Hill on the roster. Right, right. But that means you're cutting Lucas Krull and Joel Wilson, the UDFA out of Central Michigan. Again, they're probably both going to end up on the practice squad. Like, I have no issue with that. I just don't see a spot for them this year.
0: Tight end's a spot that's going to be interesting come camp two. If, we'll see what happens if there's cuts, you know, with other teams and they release like a veteran this team's interested in, just because, man, that that free agent market just is not
1: very attractive. I agree. Okay, last spot on the offensive side of the ball. It's offensive line. I think you're keeping nine. You might keep 10, but I do think that having the cross-positional flexibility of an Eric McCoy and a Cesar Ruiz helps you trim this number down by at least one. So the the keeps are obvious, right? So Eric McCoy, Cesar Ruiz, Andres Pete. Trevor Penning, and Ryan Ramchek. That's your starting offensive line. And then you're also keeping Nick Saldaveri, who's the fourth-round rookie, traded up for James Hurst, Lewis Kidd, and Landon Young. All of these guys had roles last year, obviously, with the exception of Nick Saldaveri, who's the rookie. And I think you're just going to go from there. It's possible some of these guys get beat out, but in this kind of baseline projection, I'm going with the veteran experience over any of the UDFAs. And so that means that you're cutting for, you're cutting Alex Pilstrom, Mark Evans, both UDFAs, then Calvin Throckmorton, who has been effectively replaced by Saldivary, and then Storm Norton, who was a offseason signing. I don't think that they have any qualms about moving on from him, but he's probably just there to be depth. I could see him landing on the practice squad.
0: Yeah, I was going to say right there, it's like you got practice squad possibilities there. And they obviously saw something in Storm Norton to sign him kind of deal. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't expect him
1: to make the 53-man the roster. Now, if Trevor Penning's foot yeah. does not heal the way you'd hoped and he get, or he has a setback and he's not ready midway through camp, maybe Storm Norton is a guy you throw on there and you keep 10. Right? I, you'd hope that's not the case, but I think he's around and he's an option. The other guy who who he could bump off is Lewis Kitt. And if Storm Norton shows up in camp and just outplays Lewis Kidd, then sure, move on from him. But right now, I'm going with the guy I've seen play. Uh, and he made the roster last year as a UDFA. The coaches like him. So until until Storm shows up and uh, blows the doors off, if you will, uh, I'm going to go with Lewis Kidd. But that is the that is the end of the offensive side of the equation here. Any any thoughts? Looking good to me. Um the what you said about penning too,
0: is so true you know unfortunate that he's already had to deal with two surgeries on his foot and yeah we we haven't heard really anything about his development coming back from uh the latest injury that happened you know right in the last game of the year uh, but obviously the big things are expected from the dude that was a first round you you know you, you're so your your first round pick you can't have another season like last year um, I'll, obviously, a rookie year to get a little bit acclimated with this team, but just avail- availability wasn't enough. When he did play, we we saw that gradual development for him. So I'm still – I'm not giving up or saying the pick is a bust or anything, but, man, you, you got to stay on the field, obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah, you, you, you want to see him be able to stay healthy, right? Like, he's gotten very good reviews. Like, the coaching staff thought he played very well in that Week 18 game that he got hurted. And that's the that's the only negative is that he messed up his foot in that game. Right. But the development throughout the season was positive and he, he learned different roles. Right. He played the jumbo role. He moved around. And so that's a positive thing that he was able to pick that up. Hopefully he can get back. Right. Um, but all right, let's wrap that segment up. We're going to come back. We're going to go through the offensive side of the ball. As you've noticed, no UDFAs have made it yet. So foreshadowing. Right. No rookies have been cut. So foreshadowing. Right and so we'll we'll go through that next so stick around on inside black and gold and we're back on inside black and gold i'm jeff noak he's steve Gallup if you haven't subscribed yet please do that please leave a rating leave a review we got a nice rating and review today thank you i could i wish i could say who it was but it's just a generic username but they were very friendly so if you wouldn't mind going on apple Podcasts and doing that it's always appreciated i like to hear from y'all i enjoy the feedback it helps us get better so please do that but as you experienced previously we went through the offensive side of the equation on our way too early 53 man roster projection and now we're going through the defensive side of the ball it's going to get a little more interesting on this side um steve what what positions are you most intrigued to watch at rookie minicamp otas as we're going forward got to say it's going to be all
0: the new faces on that D line just because of the yep. the pieces that were were here for a while that you're accustomed to seeing um you know the David Onyemata, Shy Tuttle and just want to see how the other guys I guess acclimate to this new you know you got a new D line coach too so just all around that whole
1: just want to see how the the unit works together along with the new coach yep Todd Grantham you obviously spent your first two draft picks on defensive linemen and Brian Brzee and Isaiah Foskey. And so I think what you really want to see this year is kind of an inkling of, okay, this can be the defensive line of the future, right? Like I want to, I want to come away from this season feeling confident that one day when Cam Jordan does inevitably retire, you're not just, the cupboard isn't bare because based on, you know, when you miss on a draft pick, like you did with Marcus Davenport and you use two years of first round picks to do that, and then he's out the door and you're like, man, what are we going to do? Right. And you think Peyton Turner might be that guy, but you haven't seen it. So I, you need to, you need to come out of this year feeling like we have a plan here, a defensive line. And so I think you have the pieces in the building and they need to show up, but so we're keeping nine defensive linemen. So we'll go through the defensive ends first. So that's Carl Granderson, Cam Jordan, Tano Passano, Peyton Turner, all four returning players, no surprises there you didn't really do anything on free agency on the defensive end side of the equation. So you are banking on Peyton Turner being a contributor. And as you should, he's a first round pick going to year three. I was like, please contribute anything. Right. And when I talked to Cam about it, he was basically said like, you got to be available. Right. And you know, he doesn't say that lightly because he's a guy who's always available. Like it means something to him. When you're talking about availability and he's got to be on the field, I think he's played in 13 games over two years. That's just not enough. So that's the first step is being healthy, being on the field. And if he can do that, then maybe he can make an impact. But I do think you still feel good about Carl Granderson. Tano Passonio is a guy you trust. You brought him back. And then Isaiah Foskey is a guy you're going to really try to work in. I think is going to be a plug and play guy to an extent. Like he's going to be getting significant snaps week one. He might he might outsnap Brian Brzee week one, um, just in terms of what you need from him. And the fact that you have two capable defensive tackles in front of him at a position where you don't really rotate as much, but either way, this is a position where you're going to be trying to get some youth movement involved here.
0: Yeah. Granderson for me is definitely that guy we've seen steady growth from and really intrigued to see what he does this season. I think he has that possibility to be kind of like that Caden Ellis kind of player from last year that, you know, took even that really next great step and hopefully can push Peyton Turner along with the addition of Isaiah Foskey because yeah, I, I don't know what to make of him. I love, you know, your sit down with, with cam. And like he said, it's like, a, I see him putting in the work. It's not like the kid's not trying, but be, all that being said, he you know, in the end, you gotta be available. It goes back yeah. to that.
1: Yeah. And sometimes you got to play hurt, right? Like, and, and you, you wonder after a certain point, it's like, okay, everyone's, kind of hurt, right? It's the NFL. No one's feeling a hundred percent. And are you able to push through that and still get the work in like not necessarily play, like everyone wants to play. I think, I think players are willing to play, but are you willing to do the work when you are not feeling a hundred percent? And I think that that's where if you're losing Peyton Turner, it's there. It's, it's when he has to fight through something to get the work in. And that's where I don't know if you're doing it. And that's why you're seeing him struggle on the field. That's just a the theory. But when you hear Jeff Ireland come out and say, like, you know, he's got to show up in shape, he's got to do this, he's got to do that. You know, like coaches and, and scouts and analysts, they're not looking for reasons to, to have a player want to sock you. But, like, <laughs> when you have to say that stuff out loud, it's to send a message. And hopefully you receive that message. And so on the defensive tackle side of the equation, we're keeping nine defensive linemen, five DNs, four defensive tackles, And I actually think the defensive tackle lineup when everyone's healthy is actually pretty impressive. So you have Malcolm Roach, who's a guy who you trust and you brought back. Then Colin Saunders, free agent. Nathan Shepard, a free agent from the Jets. And then Brian Brzee, a first-round draft pick. And hopefully these are guys who stay healthy and contribute because you're going and you're cutting only three guys. You're only cutting three linemen. And this is where you kind of look at it and say, you're probably going to sign an extra lineman or two because 12 defensive linemen going into camp is not a not a big number and so you're cutting the UDFA Jaron Cage then Jabari Zuniga is the guy who was around last year and then Prince Emili who at one point this offseason was the only defensive tackle on the roster um, but I think those are pretty easy cuts when you when you cut, boil it down yeah the defensive
0: tackle spot too I would hope at least from day one
1: that Brazi is going to be a starter for you I would imagine I don't think he's going to be I think no. he's going to be a rotational guy. No, I, I think you're going to use him from day one, but I don't think he's going to be the first guy off the bench. I think you're going to go with Nathan Shepard and, and and Colin Saunders and work him in. Maybe by the end of the season, he is getting more three-down work, but I think he's going to be a situational guy week one and then week two, and then you're going to build him up. I yeah, think he's I guess- going to be a rundowns guy early on. Like you said, with the rotation too, I mean, he can obviously earn more more snaps – as you go along. So that, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you paid Colin Saunders and Nathan Shepard a good, good money. Like you didn't, you didn't sign bargain bin guys. Now these are both guys are on three year deals. You know, they're making, I think seven to 9 million per season. Like these are guys you expect to contribute. So, you know, like, I I mean, I don't, I don't think that you're going to be like, man, Brian Brzee's never on the field. I just don't think you're going to just pencil him in as your number one guy on the depth chart, regardless of what happens in camp. Okay, let's move on. That was the defensive line. It's obviously the biggest position, so we talk about the most. Linebackers. Now, this is the position where I get a little wild here. Okay. So, linebackers. I am keeping Zach Bond, who I think this is the year. Got to do something. The mm-hmm. You know, you got to be that Sam linebacker because the, there, there is a need for one, and you got to be able to do it. I'd also like to see them get him more involved in the pass rush. I think that's something that they have not really tried to tap with him. But if you're going to keep him around for another year, you better. And it was something that you saw Caden Ellis do very effectively. And I think they have similar skill sets from a pass rush perspective. From there, you have DeMario Davis, obviously. Andrew Dowell. you're still keeping as that special teams ace, Pete Werner. And then the next two are kind of a question. I'm keeping DeMarco Jackson. He was your fifth round pick last year. He missed the entire season with an injury. I think they want to see him. I think they want to get a look at him. Because you didn't last year, but you liked him enough to bring in, right? Kid out of App State. So I think I'm keeping him. And then I'm also keeping Anfernee Orgy, the UDFA out of Vanderbilt. He's a guy who was very productive, team leader, all around the field, misses a lot of tackles. So he's going to have to show that he can kind of rein it in but I think his skill set makes a lot of sense. It reminds me a little bit of Quan, right? Like I think he kind of fits in with what you're trying to do. And so I'm keeping him. And uh, so so a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on Anthony after this podcast posts. He's going to go out there. He's going to have to figure it out because the players I'm keeping too, I'm cutting, you know, these are guys, you know, so Nick Anderson, I know a lot of people are going to want to see me put Nick Anderson on that line instead of Anthony, but I just don't think he fills that role right now that you need which is a guy who can just go out and be a volume tackler if you need to replace Pete Warner for whatever time period he misses if he gets hurt, right? You need that depth. Ty Summers, also a cut. Ryan Connolly a cut. And then Nephi Sewell, this is the guy who I was kind of split. There was three linebackers, and I wanted to keep two, which was Anthony Orgy, DeMarco Jackson, and Nephi Sewell. And I ended up cutting Nephi just because I, I think we've seen what he has to offer, and right now it's not good enough. So I'm kind of projecting these two guys ahead of him. But that could that could shift. They obviously liked him enough last year to keep him on the practice squad and to give him reps in the preseason. So that's kind of where I'm at. But that's my one UDFA that I'm keeping is Anthony Orgy because I think he is an NFL-ready body. I think he should have been drafted. And they just – like he's a UDFA on this list. He should have been a sixth-round pick. Yeah, I'm curious with Zach Bond, at least for me, he's a guy that's been a contributor – Obviously on special teams, that was he's been something good on special teams. Like that's something I, that a lot of people don't appreciate about Zach Bond. he's been good on but not just like, he's been a key contributor on special teams. And that's what saves him on this roster.
0: And that, yeah, that's been big to me. Uh, unlike a guy like a Peyton Turner, who's been a healthy scratch, not even contributing at all. Kind of thing. When you look at yeah, that one know, block. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, but yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm a guy you're rooting for, but yeah, really haven't seen much. And I think it's kind of, A little bit of the Saints' fault, obviously, because when he was drafted, it was kind of switched into – a whole different role than what he really played in college.
1: So one thing that we uh, heard from Mickey this year was about like the nine Oh prospects, right? Like if they are very good, but they're not a scheme fit, they'll put a nine Oh at the end. So if they're a third round grade, but they're a three nine Oh, you're not going to take them in the third round. You might take them in the fifth round if they drop there because you like them that much. And I think that's probably what happened with Zach ball. It's maybe he was a second round grade, but he was a two nine Oh and they got into the third round and they were like, maybe we can make this work. He is, a very good football player. He doesn't fit our scheme, but we're gonna try it out. Just hasn't happened. Just has not worked. And I think that you have to adjust a little bit to do to to play to his strengths, right? And you just haven't really done that. And I don't know. It's it's tough. Like I could see him going somewhere and being a three four outside linebacker and and having success. It's just not gonna be on the Saints unless they unless they adjust to accommodate it. So yeah. Yeah. And as
0: you mentioned with Nick Anderson, obviously all the, you know, local fans rooting for the two lane guy, uh, undersized linebacker, we know. And I, I think there is a spot for him on the practice squad, but to make the 53, he'd have to be doing something obviously outstanding.
1: This is just a highlight reel of Anthony orgy. He's, he wears, he wore zero in college. He just those, gets up field. he's always around the ball. And I think you're going to see this in camp and it's going to flash in camp. And you're going to see a guy who's just constantly around the ball, making plays, getting up field, harassing running backs and, and snap slapping at the ball and making plays. And it's going to stand out. Like, I, I guarantee you, he is one of the guys that is getting talked about after, you know, OTAs and, and like the first day of pads when they come on and you hear him thump somebody and you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, I I, 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 I genuinely think he's going to be a guy that people, you know, that, that people fall in love with throughout camp. I guarantee he's already got the f- best last name for the Cajun cannon. Orgy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so defensive back. I, I always just kind of lump these together because I don't like splitting them up between safety and cornerback because I'm never sure. There's always like two or three that I'm never sure which part to put in. So I just do defensive back. I'm keeping 10. And this is always one where you can go either way because if you have a lot of, if you have, for example, an Eno Benjamin who contributes on special teams, that that's probably going to take away a safety spot because safeties, cornerbacks are, a lot of times will be your special teams players because... They are typically fast and they can tackle, which is what they do. It's good their job. So it just makes sense that that would kind of transition to being a gunner or you're, you know, just kind of somebody who's going to sprint downfield and make a tackle in space. And so that's kind of where you end up with here. But so on the cornerback side of the equation, it's really not a big question here. Paulson Adebo, Marshawn Lattimore, Bradley Roby, Alante Taylor. Now I am keeping Isaac Yadam on this list and that's because right now, I don't know who the gunner is across from JT Gray, who is also on this list. Isaac Yadam did that very well last year. They brought him back. I think right now he's going to be the the inside track at that role. I think Lonnie Johnson Jr. is the P.J. Williams mold of a guy you could throw at cornerback or safety and feel comfortable with. Um, You didn't bring P.J. back, so there is a spot for a player like that, and I think he's it. JT Gray is obviously the special teams ace. Jonathan Abram is kind of replacing Justin Evans, right? A highly drafted guy who got kind of passed, you know, cast off from his first NFL gig. And now he's looking to make an impact in new Orleans and Justin Evans is on the Eagles now. So there is an extra spot for that kind of depth safety. And then the other two safeties who are going to be your starters, Tyron Matthew, Marcus may, I feel pretty good about that list. The only question is who's that gunner. And so if someone beats out Isaac Yadam and is, it shows better in that spot then they're going to go there but right now for me it's Isaac
0: yeah the Saints secondary is strong and I know that was, that was what was really odd to me I thought uh, seeing some of the mock drafts going into this year some people had corner as a need for them and I just I, I didn't understand that at all I think it's just
1: corners a need for every team every year Right. Like I, I, there are so few instances where you're like, okay, we're set at corner. We don't even have to look at it. Like it just doesn't ex- like that team doesn't exist. Does I you? thought that last year and then look what happened. <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. You went in last year being like, wow, we have four startable corners, man. We're set. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you have Chris Harris starting across from Alanti Taylor. <laughs> yes. Like, like it goes, you get thin real fast. Um. Anyway. So I'm t- there's 16 defensive backs on the roster right now. It's the most of any possession. I'm keeping 10, I'm cutting six. So one of them is safety Ugo Amati. Like he's a guy who I don't know anything about. He could be excellent as a gunner and beat out a guy like Isaac Yadam. So he's someone to watch. He's so wearing number zero, so he'll stand out. Uh, Anthony Johnson Jr. is getting cut. He's a UDFA. Troy Pride Jr., Vincent Gray. Smoke Monday, people are going to get mad at me. Until I see him back healthy, I am not going to pencil him in anywhere. He doesn't profile as a gunner. I don't know how much of an impact he's going to be able to have on special teams. So for that reason alone, he it's difficult for me to just pencil him in. Now he can go out there and just dominate, maybe beat out a Jonathan Abram, right? Maybe beat out a Lonnie Johnson right now. I don't know. I have to see him out there and see what he's got. They did keep him around. So clearly they like him. So he's going to get his chance. Now here's my one draft pick that's getting cut and it is Jordan Howden. I just don't know anything about Jordan Howden. I don't see where he's going to impact the field as a rookie. And I think that you can cut him and stash him, right? He's a sixth round pick. No one's going to be falling over themselves to sign him on to, to claim him on waivers, considering they weren't doing that in the sixth round of the draft anyway. So I think he's the guy where if you're trying to make space for somebody, He's the draft pick that I'm that I'm okay kind of stashing because I think you can just like Jordan Jackson last year. Although you look at Jordan Jackson, he's on the Broncos now, so it doesn't always work out. Either way, I wanted to keep Orgy. I wanted to keep an extra running back, and Jordan Howden gets the the odd the, the short straw here.
0: Yeah, it could be interesting with Howden too, seeing what he's able to do in special teams because I know that's really I I, I would consider him. To make his mark on the on his team, if anywhere, this year. And even going down the line, I don't know if he's necessarily gonna be a guy you rely on to play
1: defensive snaps. He's gonna have to make his impact as a as a special teamer. Yeah. Maybe he is that gunner, right? Like you need somebody. You need someone who can be a gunner, you need someone who can be a jammer, you need someone who can contribute. And right now I just don't know. Like I haven't seen him play. I haven't, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna pretend I've watched a ton of Minnesota football. Definitely haven't watched Minnesota special team snaps. He looks good. He looks like a good athlete. I just don't know if there's going to be a spot for him this year, hence why he ends up on the practice squad. But I'm okay with that, right? Like, I, I don't have an issue with putting this guy on the practice squad because, again, he's a sixth-round pick. You know, if, if someone comes and tries to sneak him off waivers, great. I'd rather, if I had to pick between the two sixth-rounders in terms of a guy that I think I would be worried about getting stashed off my practice squad and a guy I wouldn't be, it would be A.T. Perry that I'm more worried about. So if I have to pick one of those guys to stash him, I'm picking Jordan Howden. You mentioned not knowing
0: anything about Ugo Amadi. I'm going to throw in, uh, what's his name, uh, Troy Pride Jr. in that
1: one too. I know nothing about that guy. He's been on the roster. Right? He's, it's just not an not impact. Vincent Gray too, which <laughs> yeah, I do, I, I I do appreciate. I, I do enjoy when – I think there was a point last year where the Saints defensive secondary was – Vincent Gray and J T Gray. It was like the like a law firm. It didn't go well either. I was going to say uh, not Fifty Shades of Gray, just Two Shades of Gray. <laughs> two Shades of Gray. Um, all right, and then special teams. No, no real conversation to be had here. I think <laughs> you have Will Lutz coming back as a kicker, Blake Gillikin as the punter, and Zach Wood as the long snapper. Now, Will Lutz is not guaranteed his job the entire season, in my opinion. He took a pay cut. You're going to give him a chance if he does not bounce back from what you saw last season, which was just not good, then I could see him losing his job. But he was fine throughout camp. So I don't think he's going to lose his job in camp. It's going to be a question of what he does during the games. Definitely. And I think that's part of the reason you're carrying two kickers right now. Because you want to know what your options are, right? Alex Covado was here last year. Blake Gruppi is the UDFA out of Notre Dame. And so you're just going to see what they have. And then like, if you do have to make a decision, you have to make a decision. I think will let is going to bounce back. I don't think what you saw from him last year was any sign that he's lost it. He made a kick from 62 yards, I believe, or 60, 61. I don't know. The, the first kick against Minnesota and the second one, he missed by an inch, right? Like the leg is still there. I think it's more of just a, like a confidence thing, like a, like an instinct thing. And hopefully That was a one-year kind of sojourn that he's back from. And we've seen that, right? Like Robbie Gold, I feel like got cut by two different teams, and he's still kicking for the 49ers as late as last year, right? Brett Maher was a cast-off that the Saints brought in and then wasn't good enough to keep here and then ended up on the Cowboys and had a really good season. Now, postseason notwithstanding, he had a really good kicking season for the Cowboys last year. And then he missed five consecutive extra points. <laughs> but like, it's not unusual to see a kicker kind of go through the doldrums of, you know, why isn't this working out? Either way, I think you're going to be fine. You have Blake Groupie, you have Alex Cavada. Both of those guys are going to get cut. Maybe you stash on the practice squad. I don't know. And then Lou Headley, who is here, and he's going to be fun to watch, but I don't think he's going to beat out Blake. But yeah, that's, that's those are my last cuts.
0: Kind of, well, completely off topic. It's going to be curious to see at least... What's going to happen with that punter that the Bills drafted has been cleared of, you know, the charges now? And now, I mean, obviously, if he was worthy enough to be a six-round draft pick, you would figure that somebody's going to be interested in his services. Obviously, the Saints, I think, are very happy with Blake Gillikin, but just curious what happens with Matt Ariza?
1: Ariza. Yeah, Matt Ariza, the the punt god, uh, as (laughs) it was called, I believe. Um, Yeah, I mean... I assume he's going to get signed by somebody, right?
0: Like It's really unfortunate. Obviously, you have your name just really tarnished and destroyed.
1: I'm happy the young man got his, his name cleared kind of thing. And now it's yeah, kind he wasn't of, even guess, there, you know, right? Like a lot of times you'll, you'll see these cases where somebody recants, like Greg Hardy, right? Like Greg Hardy didn't go to prison because the person who was pressing charges against him did not show up to court, right? Like... That is not the same as being exonerated, <laughs> whereas the, like, evidence showed that Matt Ariza wasn't even at the house that he had allegedly raped somebody. He wasn't right. even there. And that's a very different situation, obviously, than, than the one I just described. So, like, like, and teams did not touch Greg Hardy. Teams have, did not sign Ray Rice. Like, they just never ended up on a roster again. I don't think that's what's going to happen for Matt it wouldn't, it wouldn't be fair. And I, and I, I don't know about his character or anything beyond that, but if that's the reason he got cut from the bills, then I imagine he'll end up back on a roster. Who knows? Maybe something else will come out that'll, that'll ruin his life. I don't know, but <laughs> I imagine that he'll end up somewhere. Although, you know, you know, who never came back was Ray Rice and I just don't know if he was yeah. done as
0: a running back at that point or that video really just put the kibosh on everything.
1: Yeah. It's a good question. I, Cause I think he was toward the tail end of his career from a yeah. physical perspective to begin with. I mean, look at um, Kareem Hunt. Yeah, R- right. Like very similar situations. They even both happened at an elevator, right? Uh, he got signed, and so it's like, hmm. If you're young enough and you have enough years ahead of you, you can get past it. If you were a veteran who, you know, probably would be a backup, you know, right. probably not worth the noise. Either way, the Saints don't have any players dealing with domestic stuff violence. going to get them cut. Apparently, um, they do have a running back who's dealing with an elevator incident. It was a duty punched which I guess is slightly better from a NFL perspective, right?
0: Yeah, except when he's on the ground and multiple people continue to hit on him and
1: then it doesn't look so great. Oh, it was bad. It was bad. But from the perspective of getting blackballed by teams, right? it's not, you know, it's like getting in a fight at a bar is a lot different than... Punching your wife in an elevator. No, what, what, Ray what Rice Kamara's
0: did. actions was if something were to happen where the Saints decided to move on from him, there would be you know every other team in the league would be interested in his services. Uh, I I still think I, I don't think Kamara is is hit a wall in his his capabilities
1: yet. I mean I don't know maybe he has. Like I I start you start to wonder right like you go through an entire season with what one rushing touchdown. And we're gonna pretend that there's no worry that maybe he has started to reach the back slope of his career. I'm I'm gonna chalk it up just to whatever was going
0: on with that whole case kind Definitely. of weighed on him.
1: Yeah, kind of weighed on him
0: during the season. So I'm I'm hoping that just because I I'm not afraid to, to admit, obviously, huge Camara fan, just the, the player and the person. It just it was a real letdown to see this happen to
1: him. Well, I mean, he was involved. Oh yeah. I mean, it didn't happen to him. He did something <laughs> and he's been dealing with the fallout from that now. So I don't feel bad for him in that sense that he is dealing with the, uh, you know, consequences of his own actions. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely from, I think it happened to the saints, <laughs> you know, like I think the saints are dealing with it in, in ways that they probably shouldn't have to be dealing with it. And that's why in a lot of instances, you'll see that player get cut. In Alvin's instance, he is so talented and he is so good that they're willing to accept it. And that's kind of the two-faced nature of the NFL, right? And we've talked about this. It's like if you are good enough, you can get away with stuff. Now I'm not saying Alvin should have been cut, but if he was a fringe of the roster player, he would have been cut. And that's kind of the rub. Right. Like if he was Eno Benjamin, you would have said, see ya. He wouldn't, he would he would have been out the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. You know, and and I guess that's just America, right? That's capitalism. Trump's all right, for sure. Yeah, but all right. That's the end of, of the 53-man roster projection. I actually think, all things considered, this was a pretty painless process. I didn't think there were a ton of of difficult cuts and that could change because, again, as by my count, the Saints have 85 players, maybe 86 on the roster after Sage Stater. So, there's spots to bring people in. And so you might end up bringing in a veteran tight end, a Foster Morrow, and that makes the cuts a little more complicated, although that's a bad example because you're just getting rid of Forrestal. But like, yeah, if, if, if Alvin ends up getting a suspension prior to the season, it gets a little more complicated. If you bring in a veteran running back, which you almost seem, always seem to do, it gets a little more complicated. So that's just something that we're going to keep building on as the season goes. But I, I do think that this is always good to have kind of a baseline that we can look back and say, where were we in May? And where are we now? Because things change. Yeah, it'll, it'll definitely
0: be interesting. I think for the most part, you nailed it pretty good. But yeah, like you said, there's going to be those names that uh, end up rising and falling. And we'll see where that ends up happening. And definitely looking forward to just seeing whatever from the, these rookies over the weekend, that mini camp, the schedule coming out, all, all of it's, you know, that that appeases you before the uh, the training camp madness. And, and OTAs will be starting up soon,
1: too. The appetizers. Yes, exactly. A little tasty the mortals. The appetizer round. Um, this time last year, I had Devon Azigbo on my roster, so things change. <laughs> I don't even know where he is right now. Wasn't he in Denver for a little bit? He was, he was in Denver. I'm not sure if he's still there. But, um, yeah, he ended up in Denver, as did several Saints players. Uh I wonder why. Yeah, crazy. But, all right. That's it. That's going to wrap up this episode. Hope y'all enjoyed it. Hope that all made sense. Um, We're going to be back hopefully on Friday afternoon. I'm going to try to do a live chat. I don't know what Steve's schedule is. We'll have to hash that out. We'll see who's available. Either way, we do a live chat to go through the predictions, which will be out of week by week for the 2023 schedule. I almost said 2017. I don't know why. But that was like the number that came to my head, and then I changed it mid mid sentence. That's why I paused. That's all right. I'm still saying Brett was playing for the Jets. So I think it was because I was I was split between saying 2023 and 17 game schedule. Anyway, I can give you my prediction now: 17 and 0, 17 and 0. Yeah. Why Why even have the episode? Just say win 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 long form make-believe roster. What else are we gonna talk about? Right. <laughs> Howdy doody. Alright y'all. Be easy.
0: Peace. The thunder's rolling in over here now.